podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's been a slow week, but it's going to be a great show anyway. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory and I'm joined by my very good friend. Adam, hey Rory, how are you doing this fine evening? I'm getting through it, as you can see. We talked offline, but we're here for the Friday pod and we're going to talk about all of the main stories. Although it was kind of one of those things where we were kind of planning this and we were like, what is there to talk about this week? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's you know there's been a lot of football thrown out as recently, yeah. and it's been non-stop, and it's about to go up again. You know, Champions League's coming back, yes. all that stuff. But this week has felt a bit more low-key. It's been Very quite nice. Key. There's a few FA Cup replays, but I didn't personally watch nah. them. I'm not sure if anybody who support, apart from people who supported the teams, watched them. Mm. Um, but there have still been a few stories. There's still plenty of bullshit for us to get through. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so do stick with us. Um, we are going to be talking about this story that is kind of released today about the trialing of blue cards. We're going to be talking about stories around Serie A, um, mm-hmm. flops that are potentially becoming bargains, um, a new tournament that we are excited yeah. about, and it's not FIFA, so therefore it's good. Um, and there'll be lots of other stuff as well. Yeah. Um, Adam, how are you doing, man? I'm doing very well. It's been a tough week at home, uh, as I described to you offline. Yeah, Mrs. is down with COVID, so I've had to do all of the duties, all of the above. So, yeah, it's definitely rife, guys. So keep yourself safe out there. But, yeah, this is it's awful. But more to the point, how are you doing in Milan as well? I am all good, man. Obviously, I've been ill last couple of weeks on and off, but... Fully recovered, back in fighting form, uh, and yeah, ready to go. But the good thing about being ill is that all you can do is sit and watch football, and it's like you've got no excuse. It's just like, no, well, I, I literally can't do anything else. So I did watch all the football at the weekend. I did really enjoy Arsenal's win, and I did celebrate. <laughs> maybe maybe I did over-celebrate, but, you know, why not? Did, did um, Carragher tell you to go back to work Carragher. or something like that? Um, no but I, I honestly the amount of tweets that I was going to send him and I just had to delete and I was like no 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 just don't don't do it we'll save just it for when he's celebrating right we'll save it for when he's celebrating right why exactly That's exactly it. exactly revenge is best served cold yes. right is the right. Uh, is, is the, the same analogy, I think yeah. almost uh, it's close enough um, so guys well yeah let's just do let's it do we it. are going to take a very quick break and we're going to come back with the, with the headlines from this week And we are back, and it's time for the Euro Review, talking about all the stories from across England, Italy, and everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam, I'm going to let you kick us off with your first story of the week. What's What has caught your eye? Well, let's talk about the controversial kind of implementation of a new rule. So it sounds like we're going to have a sin being introduced in the form of a blue card. I don't know why blue card, but it is a blue card. Um, but yeah, Fine. basically the rationale is that if a player shows dissent uh, or is argumentative to a point that it's not controllable with a yellow or red card offence, then they're going to issue a blue card and the player will have to come off for a minimum of 10 minutes of play. Um, so automatically the footballing world has gone absolutely apeshit saying, look, referees... 
still can't really manage yellow or red cards decisively. So what is a blue card going to do? We've already seen the pain points with VAR, right, Rory? Um, but a blue card, mm -hmm. it sounds like a very much a rugby philosophy being introduced now. I know it's being used in context of like this might divert those kind of confrontations that we sometimes see in heated matches, but I think this is a terrible move. This is an absolutely ill-thought move. Um, what's your first initial reactions to this? Because, yeah, I, I think it's just going to cause more confusion, right? I think there's a, what it says to me is that abusing a referee is bad, but it's not that bad, right? What it says to me is like, like because referees could book players sure. for dissent. And they could, if, like, the rules are that if you, like, verbally abuse a referee, that's a booking, yeah. right? Because you're, like, disrespecting the official. So I think that, obviously, I can already hear people going, well, you'll get five sendings off a match then. Yeah, for the first match, and then people will stop it, mm. right? So I think if it, it is a huge problem in the game, right? And it's a huge problem in grassroots football, and we know that people replicate what they see yeah. on the TV, etc. But I think this could be managed with a yellow card, with the system that is currently mm -hmm. in place. And you don't need to add this layer of complication. What I think, yeah, you brought in, you, you brought up the kind of like, the, the it's a very rugby idea. Now, apart from the fact that I, I just don't like rugby, I also think it's a very kind of American idea. Mm. And I also don't like Americans. Uh, no, but <laughs> um, I just, it seems to me like a, a sport that's kind of running out of ideas and trying to modernize for the sake of modernizing yeah. when actually what you should be doing is doing genuine reform and genuine, like, you know, looking at the system you have, how can you fine tune the system mm. that you have? How can you implement that system rather than actually addressing that issue? Sure. You're just going, Oh, let's just do this. And then that will solve that problem until all the analysis on Sky Sports then becomes, was that a blue card mm. or was it a purple card? Because it's not quite a blue and it's not quite a red. But like, if you know what I mean, and yeah. that will just add more analysis and more arguments on Twitter and more controversy. Maybe that's what they want. Sure. Like without sending too bitter, from seeing the Sky Sports analysis <laughs> recently, it does seem like all they want is the clicks and the arguments rather than actual analysis. But it feels like, yeah, you're not actually trying to deal with the issue. You're just like, let's just come up with a shiny new idea mm. that will maybe solve this. I just think it's, um, yeah, it's a shit idea basically. And do, like, do you have any trust in the officials? I feel like being able to implement it. Cause I kind of feel bad for them at this point. That it's another thing they have to think about. Yeah. I mean, it's bad enough that sometimes we scrutinize interpretations of the rules, right? So if you think about the referee's interpretation of what could be a blue card incident, for example, could be very different to another referee. We only have to look at the analysis of Dermot Gallagher sometimes when he's in the TNT studios yeah. and we go, what the fuck is this guy talking about? And you're like, imagine if we include the intricacies of a blue card situation and how many players can be in a blue card sin bin at one time and it's just going to get so complicated. The rules have been there for what, over 150 years or so. Let's just stick to basics. I think this is where it's getting far too complicated. Yes, introduce technology like VAR to assist the referees, but in the right ways, it's got to be deployed. I think we're coming to a point where we're starting to realise that it has added a layer of complexity, especially when we have rules that we're sort of always changing as well. 
like I remember the episode mm-hmm. that you and Tommy did with Mark Halsey and the way he would referee, yeah, yeah. for example, and he, he said, look, VAR, I think at the time wasn't implemented, but he said it's got to be used in the right manner. And it's still to this yeah, point, yeah. it still seems like we're still behind in terms of implementation and how it's best or most effective for it. So I just think this is not needed right now. And like you say, the first few games are just going to be a car crash, aren't they? And then we've got the added aspect of clubs. Will they say, well, because it cost us X amount of points, we're going to take the league or referee association to court because it's cost us relegation yeah. or whatever it be going yeah, forward. Yeah. I mean, this is the stupidity of it. Like, let's just keep it nice and simple. This needs serious consideration across the board, though. This doesn't... Because if you think I about it... I quite like... Mm, the... Go on. No, go on, sorry. Go All on, I was going to say is think about it from a grassroots level perspective as well. Because if it, we, we're talking mm. probably more broadly at a top level. How do you implement it even at a lower league or even lower kind of standards? I, I just think it's going to cause... It's bad enough you hear about these stories of referees being chased like... Yeah. How are you going to police someone that's in a blue card sin bin? Realistically, that that's just going to yeah, cause yeah, yeah, more yeah. ruckuses in car parks up and down the country and yeah. maybe across Europe and the world. So it, it's just yeah, yeah. horrible. But go on, go with your point. No, I do quite like the idea that there might be like a grade of swear words that counts <laughs> as like a blue. So he didn't call me the C word, but, but he did call me a wanker. So that means that it's a blue card. And, you you know, you have like lip readers coming in and being like, you know, yeah, from the VAR right. analysis being like, you can clearly see that he drops the C-bomb. And we all know that the C-bomb means that's a, that's a classic blue card. That is a stonewall blue card decision calling the ref a C-bomb. Yeah, but you right. can get away with calling him a bastard. Like, if you know what I mean? And I feel like there's the gradient of like a foul for a yellow card is so mm. difficult and causes debate. Like when it gets into like linguistics and semantics and like, you know, there's a Spanish player who maybe has been taught the wrong bad words right. by his teammates and he gets sent off because he only knows the really bad ones. If you know what I mean? Like, but I'm, I'm obviously exaggerating a bit, but I feel like it just, because it's for dissent and it's for yeah. like unsporting behavior, right. For like mm. the cynical fouls and stuff. I feel like there's just a bit more of a um, even bigger gray area, but I do like the idea of a punishment for a cynical foul that isn't a yellow card because I think every football fan has seen it and it's really irritating. Probably the most irritating thing in football when your team are on the break and then someone just pulls the player back, takes the yellow card and you know, you would have got a goal, right? And you know, a yellow card isn't enough. You know, a red card is too much. I do like the idea that there is a punishment for that specific thing. Cause I think it's one of the most annoying things that happens in football. So maybe the one positive I can find that a sin bin for that, if implemented properly, I think wouldn't be the worst idea. But again, it's about it being implemented properly. I just think this is something that uh, Jose Mourinho would have been purring about. This is the kind of thing that he would have loved to have had rather than have a player sent off, for example. But I, I still feel that, like you said in your initial point, there's nothing wrong with a yellow or red card. That can solve that situation mm-hmm. and that should be utilised. So why complicate it by introducing a third possibility with interpretations that could go the wrong way personally i'm just yeah, dead yeah. against it and let's just stay well clear of this initiative i hope it fails 
let's put it this way. I hope it gets implemented, yeah, yeah. it fails, falls flat on its face, and everyone demands for it to end immediately. So we can just move on. Yeah. Move on with our lives. I do feel like Jose Mourinho would have had his own private sin bin though. He would have just been in it like he would have just had his own built in the stadium. Like this is Jose's sin bin. He's always yeah. around that area, just save his legs, really. Yeah. But like and then you have the sin bin for everybody yeah, else. Exactly. Because I feel like he would very rarely leave the thing. Um but yeah, look, it's being trialed, so I'm not sure. We'll have to look in more into like where it's being trialed. I imagine they're starting at grassroots level and seeing if it works. Um, but from all the reactions I've seen on Twitter mm-hmm. from professional footballers, I've just seen um, uh, Alex player, M- Mickey Demetriou, oh, um, yeah. has just retweeted it with just loads of face palm emojis, <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? Um, and I feel like that has been the yeah. general reaction Basically. from footballers. Um and I think, yeah, like you said, they can see that there's a million issues that could come along with this. But, you know, a lot of these ideas get trialed and they never see the light of day again, right? They try True. they try all sorts of rules in these mad tournaments and stuff. So, well, it's interesting. We will see. We just hope it never gets anywhere near professional um, exactly. professional football, really. Because exactly. I think it just feels a, bit, feels a bit cheap to me. I don't know. Um, but, yeah. We say no to the blue card, Um, and we're going to move on to the first story I'm bringing to the table today is everyone's favorite competition, except I'm not being sarcastic. I absolutely love this competition. (laughs) The Nations League groups have been drawn, and I love this competition when you get groups like, um, where's it gone? England, Finland, Republic of Ireland, and Greece. When I saw that group, I had to double check the flag wasn't the Georgian flag. I was like, oh, just double check. Don't get too excited. And I was like, oh my God, it's happening. Um, This is going to be fantastic. It's going to be box office. Um, Already, all the Irish supporter pages on my um, Instagram and Twitter have been uh, tweeting the picture of Declan Rice where he commented um, right. up the raw under the um, under under people's posts on Instagram, and there was a comment like uh, up the raw, come on lads, wait until we draw England. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to see the reaction that Declan Rice and Jack Grealish get when they get to Ireland because I know it's it is it is banter a lot of it. Of course, yeah, it is sure. all this stuff from England, Ireland. Now it's pretty much just banter. Um, but I'm genuinely intrigued to see what reaction they get. And if Declan Rice scores, does he celebrate? If Jack Grealish scores, does he celebrate? Or do yeah. we see the very rarely spotted international non-celebration? That would be quite... Oh. There's only been two or three players that have ever done oh. it. But it'd be quite interesting, right? I think any chance that England and Ireland get to play each other is always quite interesting, right? It's always feisty, right? It's always a bit, bit interesting. There's always a bit of beef to it. I was thinking initially, before you even mentioned about Declan Rice and Jack Grealish, I was thinking more current kind of vibes of Evan Ferguson and that Alex Crooks interview where he asks him, have you ever considered oh, yeah. uh, taking on the England shirt? And it's like, no, clearly not, basically. I'm Irish. <laughs> I'm Irish. What the fuck do you <laughs> think I am? Like. And it's the stu- pure stupid. That is basically your stereotype of an English fan, isn't it? It's basically I'm entitled. It's- we we deserve to have anyone's talents if we feel they're good enough for our shirt. Then they can be part of England, and you know yeah. it doesn't matter about their past. I mean, yeah, it is that. That's, well, I, I can't wait for that to be memes as well. To be fair, Rory. Well, there's there's the common phrase on Irish Twitter, which is just the Brits are at it again, and it's when the English do something like that, and it's just oh, they're at it again, and it's just the most English thing of like, but why wouldn't you choose to represent England? I don't understand. He's like, 
because I'm Irish, I'm from Ireland. <laughs> my accent, <laughs> like my passport, my life, like what? What? Which one do you want me to bring up? Like, but it is the most English thing ever. But I, and this is the the deep issue I have with my identity is that I'm English <laughs> yes, and Irish. So both of them, I get pissed off at what the English do, but then I support England <laughs> and I really get behind Ireland. Um, it's a constant battle. It's honestly, yeah, it's a constant battle. Um, and when I go to Ireland and I see my family, I'm a plastic paddy because yeah, I've got an are. English accent. I was born in England. I am by definition English. Sure. But then when I go to England and all my friends are like, oh, you're not English, you're Irish, you've got an Irish passport. So I'm nowhere. I'm homeless, technically. <laughs> um, I'm technically homeless. But um, I'm excited to see this game. I know that Ireland are going to get stuffed in both. I just We know that's going to happen because England are much, much, much better than Ireland. Mm. But I do think in Dublin, it could be quite interesting if it's yeah. at... Um, if it's at the Aviva at night and there's like, there's a bit of, you can get an atmosphere for that sure. game. I think it could be a tricky one for England, but it will be a game worth watching nonetheless. But that's in League B. I forgot I know, that England yeah. got relegated. Yeah. I kind of like, passed me a bit back. Weird, isn't it? I forgot that Ireland, su- <laughs> I forgot that Ireland survived, to be honest. I was like, fair play, good work. Um, but in League A, see, Stephen Kenny did do something. And I, anyway, um, in League A, Adam, yeah. um, you got a pretty exciting group yourself. Croatia, Portugal, Poland, and Scotland. That's um, a hell of a group. Yeah, the n- initial reaction is we're fighting for third place. <laughs> so it currently stands. Um, yes. This is yeah, pretty yeah. much most tournaments, though, for Poland. This is pretty much every time that we're in this t- tournament, um, we are fighting to be in amongst it, and we somehow are still in that mix. It's, it's baffling for us mm-hmm. because... This is the transition period for Poland. This is going to be a Polish side that potentially might not have Lewandowski going into it. it depends where his head is at. And, you know, there's been talks about his form anyway. Um, but yeah, that's quite a tasty group. All I would say is Croatia are also in suffering a bit of a transition phase as well because, you know, the likes of Modric, for example, I think this is going to be his last tournament in the Euros, for example, potentially. There's some older players in that squad we as well. We keep saying that. Yeah. We keep saying I know. That. Yeah. We, we, look, Brozovic can smoke and he can still like run yeah. like 80 yeah. laps around the pitch, can't he? So it, it's just one of those. I, I yeah. genuinely though, I feel like look, Scotland's resurgence of late makes them quite favourable this time. I think they could cause a shock in some of those games. And Portugal, mm-hmm. they, you know, it's Martinez. I know he's got an easy group of players. But they would be favourites. They would be favourites to top this group. It's a very, very, very good team, that Portugal yes. team. It's a very good team. Exactly. It's so I'm team. not fancying any of the return legs, <laughs> especially if they're away <laughs> games. Because um, I think they're all tough games. All tough games. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. thing, I think those teams won't fancy going to Poland necessarily, but vice versa. Poland will not enjoy going to some of those. We like it when we get Latvia or something like that. But this time, yeah, we're not going to have yeah, that luxury. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, it could be a whipping glory. It just depends on our form because we are going through that phase of introducing new players. But what I did want to say is, obviously, with the Anglo-Italian pod, Italy have got a fascinating group as well. Because, yeah, if we look at that, that's Italy, Belgium, France and Israel. So Israel, bye-bye. See you later. Um, but the other three... I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to do... I'm, we're not discussing them. We're yeah. just going to focus on France and Belgium. Yeah, exactly. So um, Belgium getting better i would say every time they seem to mm-hmm. get getting stronger and france you can never write them off they, they just seem to have this academy line don't they um but italy 
Italy, you know, they're starting to have a little bit of a resurgence. I know of late the FIGC are determined to piss off Spalletti with setting up fucking friendlies with Venezuela and was it Honduras recently <laughs> when he asked yeah, yeah, he asked yeah. them to set up a European, a top European fixture so he could test his squad ahead of the Euros. And what do they do? Fucking fly them all across the world to play fucking Venezuela and Honduras. Um, but yeah, Rory, reactions. Italy got a tough group, right? That is a tough group. That is a tough group. But I think Italy, we're seeing under Spalletti, he's starting to figure out who his team is. Like we said, yeah. he's starting to, we're starting to see the systems. Their performances have got better. Their, their results are getting better. Um, I think the fact that he's bringing in players like Adoji and he's bringing in these kind of players that maybe weren't getting as many caps before, we can see that he's not afraid to to test new players. And like, I think there's there's a we know how great a coach he is and how open minded he is and how like willing to experiment he is. So I think that can only be good. And like even for a player like that we've talked about Vicario, I wouldn't be surprised if he got a chance in goal because he sees that he's in better form than Donnarumma or whatever. So I think Spalletti was starting to see what he's trying to do and what he's building. So I think Italy could really do well here. The only issue is that they've got France and France for me are the best team mm. in the world. Um, their squad is ridiculous, obviously. Um, and they've got, they're showing zero sign of slowing down. Like yeah, <laughs> whichever yeah, player exactly. gets old, they're just replaced by a 19 year old who's mm. seemingly even better. It's kind of like, one of the few things I know about rugby, but like, you know, New Zealand, every big player I hear from New Zealand is like the world's best and then they disappear. And then the next new best player is from New Zealand and they're 18 years old (laughs) and France just feels like that. And you're like, all right, it's just this never ending, like um, never ending line. line. And I think, yeah. And I think Deschamps is like, I'm surprised in a way that he's still there, but I think it's really good for that squad that he has been there so long now. And like the France team is getting a, huge identity and like um, the players know exactly what they have mm-hmm. to do and that can only build obviously and, and build strength. Sure. So I think it's a really interesting group. Um, but I, I would expect Italy to do quite well. Um, yeah, I would expect them to do all right. I think Belgium must have kind of flattered to deceive a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. The other groups we have are Netherlands, Hungary, Germany and Bosnia. Um, that's a, that's a very interesting tough group. group um, Germany, Hungary. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a big fan of Hungary as well. I really yeah. love their team. We've seen the massive results they've got recently. Sure. So I think Germany could finish third there if they're lucky. Um, and then Spain, Denmark, Switzerland and Serbia in Group A. There was no other teams that really caught my eye apart from, of course, my beloved Kazakhstan. They got promoted from League C up to League B. Sure. And they've got Austria, Norway, Slovenia, I think Kazakhstan could beat all of those teams on their day, honestly. Yeah. I yeah. think from what we've seen in Kazakhstan, they got massive results. I don't think Kazakhstan get relegated there, honestly. I think no, no, that I is a say. very, very... Do you I quite like I that. kind I of like, like the look of is uh, Wales, Iceland, is it Montenegro and Turkey? That could be a fascinating yeah. group because they all have the retrospectively elements to their game where they can win games, right? Um so yeah, that, mm-hmm. that seems like quite a juicy tight. And Montenegro and Montenegro won't be easy either. Um, so mm-hmm. as will Turkey. Turkey, we always call them the underdogs, right? Um, but yeah, uh, we'll see this. No, oh, exactly. Now. The dark horses. The dark the, horses. The, the, the perennial dark horses, Turkey. I can't believe, I'm just kind of, Sweden are in League C, Jesus Christ, and Romania. There's some big yeah. teams there. Bulgaria. Yeah. God damn. 
Um, yeah, and then in Group D, no, we're not going to do League D. Uh, sorry, <laughs> we don't have the time. Um, but yeah, so the <laughs> Nations League is returning, guys. Good, good times. England versus Republic fan. I'm going to have to get half and half shirt. That won't piss anyone off, will right, it? Right. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, Adam, take us to your next story. What are we discussing Let, next? Let's talk about something you covered off on our Twitter account, and I was listening to this earlier. Gary Neville's comments about doping in his period, which I thought was fascinating. Now, for those that might not know, because they're at, of a certain age, um, during their kind of heyday, this is... I'm referring to as Gary Neville when he was playing for uh, Man United. They obviously uh, were matched up with some supreme teams in their time, um, but there's a alleged kind of allegation around certain Italian teams and potentially a Spanish team as well, Rory, it has to be said, because it wasn't just isolated mm-hmm. to Italy. Um, but the reason why it's linked with Italy is because the Juve doctor at the time, Ricardo Agricola uh, was sentenced to 22 months in prison because he was found guilty of providing performance enhancing drugs. Now, there's always been a bit of a speculation and, you know, rife rumours that potentially a lot of this um, impacted potentially Gianluca Vialli in his later days as well. Um, You know, at the time... Uh, of this case in particular, evidence was given by the likes of Zinedine Zidane, Viali, as well as Roberto Baggio. Um, and, you know, it also there was a link to Stenic Zeman at his time at Lecce. Um, but there's, yeah, obviously it was allegations that Gary Neville came out with. He said it openly in the Overlap uh, podcast. And I think this is, this mm-hmm. is one of those where... <laughs> It's obviously opening it up to speculation around what actually was being taken by those players at the time. But I do remember when I was growing up, I used to think that these players were absolutely incredible. When, But when he reflected on things like that the players weren't sweating after 90 minutes, that's when they kind of started to suspect something wasn't right, right? Yeah, well, I think Zdenik Zeman is an interesting one because he called it out at the time. He called out Juventus and he called out teams and said, this is happening in the league and this needs to be addressed. And then that was when the kind of Agricola stuff all came out. What, firstly, um, obviously we know that doping happens in football, right? We just know it, it like it happens, it is still happening. It just hasn't been found, right? It hasn't been detected or it's not being looked for, right? We're not stupid. If if you think the game of football is the only sport on the planet that's clean, then I yeah. think you're like up for a rude awakening, right? So I think we all know this happens. We all know it has happened. Wasn't it Marseille that got done for it in the Champions League final? I believe so. Um, didn't they get stripped of their title? I thought they got stripped of their title. Or was it Juve it against was Marseille? I can't remember. Yeah, it was still... The, the results It was less intact though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we kn- we know this has happened. It undoubtedly still happens. The only thing for me that I've thought, okay, Gary, it's interesting that you said this. He played with Rio Ferdinand who mm-hmm. was banned for a very long time for not yep. taking a drugs test. And we can only speculate as to why he didn't want to take a drugs test or why he avoided taking one, right? Um, so I think there was a little bit of like maybe Gary Neville's mouth running before his head kicked into gear a little bit <laughs> yeah. there. Um, and also there was a quote in his 
biography, um, he, he was talking about Euro 96. And before Euro 96 in the semi-final, I think it was, all the England players took injections before the game. And he wrote in his biography, it all felt like we had a massive rush of energy. What do you think that might have been, Gary? Like, it wasn't just vitamins, was it? Like, what do you think that might have been? So I think it's good that anything like this being called out is always a fantastic thing. I think, like, the day that it is discovered in football is going to be huge because you're going to find it's endemic. Um, and it's like mm-hmm. beyond, you know, the stories that have been yeah. around Gasparini's Atalanta for years, if you know what I mean? Sure. Like, when yeah. it does come out, it's going to be huge. So anyone trying to call it out and trying to put a light on it, I'll always um, appreciate and be like, yes, let's try and, you know, find mm-hmm. this. But I was just a little bit surprised. And I think that it was Gary Neville. Or I just think it was a little bit, there was a bit of hypocrisy there that maybe he wasn't aware of as he was saying it. If you know what I mean? I don't think he was trying to be hypocritical. I don't think he, no, no, I just think he wasn't thinking. And he was like, I remember having this impression at the time, but then he hasn't thought about the fact that his teammate was banned for a very, very long time for what was almost certainly doping or at least taking illegal substances. And I think it's kind of weird that people forget that about Rio Ferdinand's career all the time. Like, it's just not referenced anymore. Kind of like how Pep Guardiola got done for it, and nobody talks about it. He got banned for banned substances in his career. Like, so... When you when this comes out, all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I remember that guy, and then oh yeah, that guy did it, and then oh yeah, Onana was banned for however long for taking yeah. his wife's medicine, or if you know what I mean. And it's like these stories do pop up, but they're just so swept across so quickly that everyone's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, nothing to see, here, nothing to see, here, don't worry about it, mm. and it just kind of moves on. But yeah, of course, it, of course, it happens, of course, it happens. Yeah. And if it was going to happen at any times, it would have been the '90s, 2000s, because yeah, from what I can tell, everyone who was an adult at that time was off their tits on everything. <laughs> So I'm not surprised that the athletes were doing it as well. If you know what I mean, yeah. if you look at like the Olympics at that time and the Russian, the Russian athletes yes, at that time, yeah, yeah, that was when Ben Johnson with Canada got caught. It was mm-hmm. all that. So you think it wasn't happening at football? I nah, can't nah. see it myself, but I think it kicks off an interesting conversation. Hopefully. It certainly does. Certainly um, does. Well, what, what do you, do you think it was a bit dodgy that he just pointed towards the Italian and Spanish teams? Cause I've seen, well, he only said the Spanish, the Italian teams, but I've seen a few reactions that, I'll be honest, I expected Calcio Twitter to get a lot angrier than it did. I'll be honest, <laughs> most of them just pointed fingers at Juventus. And yeah, it's them again. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, fine. But do you think it was a bit bad that you just kind of singled out the Italians when it's clearly it wasn't just one country? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it was rife throughout Europe. It was just maybe that the mm-hmm. English weren't as advanced at that stage in terms of taking performance-enhancing drugs at the time. Um, But, yeah, it it does make me kind of rethink who is my actual legends, I think, of that period now, potentially. Um, Uh, But that was... We were naive. We were young, good Rory. We kind of saw these guys as uh, spectacular. Those halcyon days. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, those moves that they were doing. Um, But, yeah, it was Roy Keane that kind of implemented... inclined to kind of say that Barcelona or Real Madrid were mm-hmm. a bit insane in terms of their levels because they couldn't get the ball off them. Uh, he kind of referred yeah, to it yeah. in that sense that they were just absolutely insane in terms of ability. But yeah, it wasn't just isolated to Italian clubs. Let's be brutally honest. No. And I'm, I'm suspecting if you look at the top teams that were around that period, even the French teams probably were good at what they were doing. Maybe potentially Germans. I don't know. But... It, 
the problem is it's, I, I we're think... all talking about the past. This is the thing. It's all kind of, yeah, yeah. to an extent now, slightly cleaned up, I would say. And you're, you're getting the fact that there's a lot more testing as well going on these days. Mm-hmm. You think about, like you called out Rio Ferdinand, there was that conspiracy around Nanny, as you alluded to as well, about what yeah, he yeah. did uh, during the, I think it was build up to the World Cup in 2010, yeah, yeah. I think it was, to South Africa, which led to the conspiracy of why did Bebe get signed uh, when he was really mm-hmm. random. And it's something to do with uh, his agent, who is also linked with nannies yeah. as well. So yeah, there's there's a story in that as well. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, fascinating that he came out with it. Like you say, it's ill times, probably ill thought out. Uh, maybe he just didn't have enough coffee that morning when he was starting this uh, podcast. But it was quite funny. I, I think, think- oh, if you saw the background, it was in a bar basically. So they clearly maybe had a yeah, few shots yeah, yeah, as well yeah. at the time. I really like Gary Neville, but I like that sometimes he gets carried away. Yeah, and you can does. see him getting carried away and he just keeps talking and everyone's like, okay, just let him talk. Let him talk. And I really, it's really endearing. I really like the bloke, but you can just see that he got a little bit carried away at that point and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Let's just see where this goes. <laughs> yeah. um, and then he was like, legally, legally, I have to say, like, you know, and you could see his yeah, brain exactly. kick in a little bit. He was like, fuck, <laughs> I better not say who I think it was. Um, but yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. And as always, Juventus, are right bang in the center of it of course they are (laughs) of course they are of course they are um well the final story before we go for a quick break and look at the preview of the weekend um we're going to go back to the reason why we love football we don't want to finish on uh doping we want to talk about some of these legends who maybe were or were not doping um and they are kicking off now i this is like the classic pub idea when you're chatting with your mates you know like naming random footballers from the 90s and 2000s you think wouldn't it be great if they did this and then actually it it is a good idea well Mm. finally someone sat down and said yeah fuck it let's do it we are gonna have the vets world cup uh, over 35 players so the players have to be over 35 or have been capped by their country or made a hundred top flight appearances to be allowed to take part. So you have to be 35 and then you have to have been capped by your country or made a hundred top flight appearances. The provisional squads look absolutely incredible. Think <laughs> of your favorite players. They're in. Um, for England, we've got <laughs> Steve McManaman is going to be captain. Yeah. Um, yeah. Michael Owens put Michael Owen has put his um, name in the hat. So the good news, they're not going to be commentating. Um, they were yeah, better footballers than commentators, <laughs> so we'll, we will get to see them on the pitch. It is believed that Ashley Cole, Joe Cole, Rio Ferdinand, uh, David James, and Frank Lampard, and Robbie Fowler have been enlisted. Um, for Brazil, are you ready, Adam? For <sighs> Brazil, Kaká, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, Roberto Carlos, Cafu... Oh, this team is absolutely outstanding. I thought I saw Emerson on that list as well, but I can't see him now. I think Emerson was on there. You know yeah. that Kaká is going to be the best player of the tournament. It's already decided. <laughs> um, France have brought in Thierry Henry, Marcel Desailly. Um, Argentina have got Hernan Crespo, Pablo Zabaleta. Meza Ozil, who only retired Ooh. a year ago, is going to be playing for Germany. Oh, and Sami Khedira. And then Spain are basically getting the band back together of the 2010 <laughs> squad because they've got David Villa, Carlos Puyol, um, 
I'm pretty sure Busquets will retire just in time. Shabby will party. turn up anyway, and won't th- he? <laughs> yeah, he's going to have some time on his hands. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for Italy, Francesco Totti and Fabio Cannavaro are oh. down to play. Um, and Diego Forlan has put his name down for Uruguay as well. Now, this tournament is going to be unbelievable. The matches are 70 minutes long because, yes. you know, they've not yeah, quite got the legs can't anymore. Last anymore. But just the idea of watching, because we've all seen the videos of Totti playing Calcetto in Rome where he <laughs> yeah. just rocks up and like scores bangers for half an hour. Like these players still play all the time. So I cannot wait to see, like, just watch Meza Ozil play football again. Oh, God, I'm so excited. Are you excited for this tournament? Yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing for it because I remember when I was younger seeing clips of the Masters, that kind of style of uh, footballers mm. were, that were able to still kind of pull it off. I seem to remember there was this uh, fantastic clip of, and I think he's still doing the rounds, to be fair, Rory, of Chris Waddle when he kind of finished his time at Sheffield Wednesday, I want to say it was, and he chips this delightful ball from about... Oh. 50 yeah. odd yards and it's kind of goes up goes up and then it kind of dips down and it goes over the goalkeeper and in the net and everyone just stands oh. up and applauds it because they're like that was insane absolutely insane yeah. and i can't wait for the same again i cannot wait because yeah i'd love to take my little boy just to appreciate he started to appreciate ronaldinho he started to, i don't know how it's happened oh. but he started to appreciate that area and i was like how is this boy learning about football already? I'm just, yes. oh, beautiful. And he's starting to say these classic names. So, yeah, this is going to be a beautiful tournament. I cannot wait, actually. This is the lot that we've been waiting Just for. hearing the name Ronaldinho brings a smile to it my face. I just it. lost myself in, like, in a thought then. Well, it's going to be 11 aside. The games will last 70 minutes, as I said. Uh, the teams will be able to use roll-on st- substitutes to utilise their 18-man squads. That's a oh. big squad. Um, they probably need the to rotate the substitutions quite often, yeah, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be 10 minutes on, 10 minutes off. The quarterfinals are scheduled to be played on June the 4th and June the 5th, with both semifinals on June the 8th before the final on June the 11th. I cannot wait. I'm quite quiet with work in June, so I now know what I'm <laughs> going to be doing. So that is quite exciting. Um, so yeah, guys, over 35s World Cup, we can cover it on the pod we quite could, easily. Yeah. We'll still be doing. We'll, we're still we'll doing. Still be around. We're still doing pods then. Why not? Exactly. Right. Well, well, let's do it, Adam. Is there anything else before we go for a break? Uh, no, I think there's only a few stories in Italy, but I can cover that off when we talk about the previews as well. But. Um, we can leave it there and let's move on to doing some previews. Beautiful. We are going to preview the upcoming weekend right after this. My name is David Artel and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian pod. And here we are. It's time to preview the upcoming weekends in Serie A and the Premier League. And woo, they are bangers. Let's they start are. with Serie A and it starts on Friday night or tonight as you are listening. And it is... The return of Davide Nicola. The whole of Serie A has been looking forward to it since he's come back and started a bit of a resurgence mm-hmm. with Empoli. They've started to show a bit of an uptick in form. He's going to basement boys, bottom of the table forever, Salernitana, yeah. his old home, his old stomping ground. And do we think Empoli are going to get a result here? Adam, they've brought in a few players. They've brought in Niang. They've brought in a few players in the in the transfer window. I'm expecting Empoli to get a result here, right? Salernitana, it looks like their time is finally coming to an end. What do we think? 
it's a bit of a struggle of late, it has to be said. Um, they are trying their best at the moment, Rory, it seems, to attract some defenders right now. So, um, obviously, they managed to get Jerome Botang the previous week, um, but now it appears this week they've upped their efforts to get free transfers through the door. Now, at the beginning of this week, it was rumoured to be a shot, uh, Mustafi, Mustafi, the ex-Arsenal defender, obviously... Um, linked with a free transfer move because he has no club. But today it's been uh, seen as well because it's not just a rumour. He's actually in uh, Rome, I believe. He's touched down from Olympiakos. Kostas Manolos um, is due to sign on a free transfer nice. for Selenitana. So I, I do feel they're going very defensive at the moment with all these signatures. They could do with a striker, in fairness, um, to, because they need someone to score goals as well. They can't rely on Kandareva to do everything here. Um, but mm. yeah, I mean, this is going to be an epic match because you've got Empoli starting to pick up some form. Obviously, we joked about Zhukovsky scoring already four goals in two games, for example. Um, but yeah, look... David Nicola has definitely instilled some confidence in this squad of players. They're starting to play a bit better than they have been under the likes of Paolo Zanetti, for example. Um, mm. And yeah, uh, this could be a fascinating match. Equally, though, Rory, it could be an absolutely atrocious match. We're not going to put like our heads, hats on it and say this is going to be <laughs> supreme viewing. Um, yeah. But how, how do you see this game going? Yeah, I might not sit and watch this game live. I don't know if I'm going to commit my Friday night to it. But um, I think if Salernitana lose this, I think that's them basically relegated because they're already five yeah. points behind um, Empoli, Cagliari and Verona on 18 points. I think if that gap goes to um, eight points, then you're looking like it's pretty much insurmountable. Salernitana have only won two games all season. Um, like you said, they've scored 19 goals. Like, Bulaidia is probably going to be back by now, right? But Hopefully. it feels like he's kind of the yeah. lost... He's the lost man of Salerno at the moment. <laughs> he's not really replicating the form of last year. There's still a few players that I've talked about before, like that Cabral, that are quite exciting, but they just don't have that cutting edge up front. And it feels like, again, this is a team that have dropped 27 points mm. from winning positions this year. Like, they just cannot hold on to a lead. So maybe... The fact that they're trying to bring in a bit of experience at the back might not be the mo the worst decision. What I do think is the worst decision is letting Scrodram Mustafi anywhere near your team. But yeah, um, that experience that experience could count. But if they come up against a team with any level of pace in the front line, you're going to be thinking that defense is going to be struggling to keep up. Like mm. Boateng was pretty quick in his day, I think, but I don't think he's still got it now. Um, so I feel like you're. It's a fine line, isn't it? But I feel like these signings are the kind of panic signings you make on Football Manager when you've got relegated, <laughs> when you've got promoted too quickly, and you're like, "Fuck! Yeah, I yeah. need a squad that are anywhere experienced players, like just some, <laughs> yeah, someone who knows this league. That means we're not going to get battered five nil every week. Like, and I feel like it's just a bit of a panic is setting in at Salernitana, um, which is completely understandable because they've been shit. Um, but yeah, this game, I think Empoli should. Empoli should get the win here, I think, um, because mm -hmm. as you said, with David and Nicola, they're looking a bit more organised, a bit more of a focal point. I think even Baldanzi leaving is a possible opportunity for the club to kind of, this whole thing to crumble apart. But I sure. think what it does, kind of like when you see the big player leave, it's just everyone else has to kind of step up and go, okay, yeah. well, we need to we need to be the guys to do it now. And I think they've still got Kambiagi. He's a very good player. Tchaikovsky, we've said, has come in and done mm -hmm. very well. 
So I think there's enough there for them to be able to start to fight for survival. And this could be a good game to kick off that fight or continue the kickoff for that fight. Um, On Saturday, sorry, it starts off with Cagliari taking on Lazio. Uh, Fresh from getting battered by Roma. They've now got the the other Roman side coming up to probably give them a battering. Um, Then the late kickoff, well, the kind of, Late-ish, but not late. Mm. Late. The late-ish kickoff on Saturday. Yeah. The first big game of the weekend. Roma taking on Inter, all winning under De Rossi. Pellegrini so can't fast. stop scoring. Free-flowing football, attacking verve. Everyone's enjoying life again. It's like whatever happens every time Mourinho leaves yep. the building. Um, this is this going to be a bigger test for Inter than Juve were last weekend. I don't know. It's going to be definitely a test for Roma and De Rossi. Um, De Rossi in particular, I think, is going to be fascinating how he applies his tactics. I think he's had an easy ride given the opponents that they've had in the first few games that he's had. Um, But now is the real test because obviously the feels there is some harmony amongst the Roma players. They are kind of alluding to the fact that they've got some freedoms now. You know, they've unbuckled some of the kind of Mourinho-esque kind of styling here. Um, but Inter are completely different cattle fish. Look, they proved against Juventus they are above the league in some respects of the way they're playing their football at the moment. I'm not going to say this is going to be straightforward for Inter by any stretch of imagination. I think Roma will give them a bit more of a fight. However, it will be down to the qualities of what Inter have. And I think, look, Inzaghi is a very clever manager. He knows not to go into Mm -hmm. this kind of sort of too reliant on the fact that they've done so well recently. He will be trying to ensure that they win this game. And I'm sure he'll get that message across to the players. But I'm... I'm intrigued about this match personally myself. I think this is going to be a good game of football for once. I, I actually look forward to this match because unlike previously, it probably would have been very defensive effort from Roma, for example, and mm-hmm. counter-attacking. I think this is going to be a lot more open potentially, but it'd be a question of can Roma control Inter? I think that's mm-hmm. the kind of question marks that I would have about this Roma side at this stage. Over time, who knows? They could be even better. But I think maybe it's too much to ask of De Rossi to, you know, create a master stroke in terms of like a result in this match. Um, if he gets a draw, I think that's very respectable against this Inter side. But yeah. I think Inter just going to have too much quality for them. But how do you see this match going? Yeah, I think it's it'll be interesting to see what type of manager De Rossi is in these big games. Because yeah. I don't feel like he's going to be the kind of shrinking violet that's going to be like, at home, we're going to try and just defend sure. and, and break. I think it's going to be like, this is Rome. You know, you can, you can hear the speech already. Like, this is our city. We don't let people come in here and take our city, like, and just fucking absolutely go for it, if you know what I mean. So yeah, I feel yeah. like it'll be interesting to, I hope that's what it's like. And I think it'll be interesting to see if that's the type of manager he is. I can't imagine he's the type to kind of, you know, just, yeah, hold back. I don't know. He never, he never held back at any point in his career <laughs> on the pitch. I think he let it all out there. True. So I think, I hope he's the same kind of manager. I'm really happy he's got off to a good start, to be honest. Like we said, the, the fixtures have been favorable, but I'm glad that he just got those performances. I think it's not even the results, it's the performances and mm. the change in style. And the fact that like Pellegrini, like you were saying off mic, he's just yes. said like Pellegrini, you've just got to unleash him and let him do what he wants to do and just like let him be the player that he is. And I just think that is such a good sign because mm. that is an exciting, there are, there are exciting parts of that Roma team and there are players yeah, yeah, there that you just let him go. 
it could be really good. So I'm just think it's it's good that we've seen those performances, the mm. expressive football and stuff as well. But yeah, I expect Inter to get the job done here, really. Um, but I think Roma will go down fighting, whereas as opposed to under Mourinho, it would have been t- 22 men behind the ball and just hope that we nick one, right? Yes. Um, exactly. So I think at least there'll be a bit more of an entertainment factor. Um, and the late, late kickoff on Saturday is Sassuolo. My sneaky shout for the team that's going to get yes. relegated that nobody expects. Um, so Swallow taking on Torino, who are having a very good season. They're slowly getting things done and they're mm. getting results. And Juric is getting a system there. There's some very good players. I think this is going to be a very, very difficult game for Sassuolo. So I think those fans are going to have to um, get ready for another tough afternoon on Sunday. The early kickoff, you have Fiorentina taking on Frosinone. Um, Monza hosting Verona. And a game that slightly tickles my interest, but I'm not sure why. Bologna taking on Lecce. I feel like this could be a really interesting game. I feel like there's going to be a few goals there. Bologna are a bit hard to predict at the moment, and Lecce Mm. are always capable of an upset. So I think if you are at a loose end on Sunday afternoon. That could be a cheeky little game to check out. Um, the six o'clock kickoff, we have Genoa hosting Atalanta. Atalanta again, resurgent, all under Adam. Um, the flop at AC Milan, uh, Charles de Ketelera, who yes. all of a sudden, well, it looks like he we're finally seeing him, right? Yeah, we're starting to see this promise. I think, obviously, maybe it's um, taking a player out of that kind of hot environment where you're expected to deliver straight away. I think that is the expectation when you go to a club like Milan. Um, And also having a coach that trusts you. I think this is the thing. Maybe Mm. Purely wasn't really behind that signature. And it's very evident that that feels like more of a Maldini signing potentially here. Um, But what I, I think we both jokes about is the very short-sighted aspects of the financial deal here potentially so the Kittler as I spoke to you offline is now proving to be really the informed player in Europe at the moment so since sort of Christmas onwards he's been the player that's been the most in terms of assists and goals um, he's got a clause that says that Atalanta can activate this by the way 22 million just to purchase him now we set offline now if he continues this form, which he's doing quite really well in the absence of Adamella Lukman, who's doing really well for Nigeria at the moment, this potentially opens up the opportunity for them to exploit that. And if he continues with the Belgium national squad, they could even foreseeably, and this is, you know, something that Atalanta would do potentially, if they got a huge bid for him, they would sell him on at a profit. So Atalanta's scheme of, you know, getting these products of players at a really low fee, and then selling them at a profit, I think, continues to be there. Um, but the Ketelet, he's enjoying that environment. He's still, I can't work out his position, Rory. I can't work it out because the way he no, plays sometimes, I think he's, he's still not necessarily a striker, himself. is he? Um, but he's no. playing fantastically well. Uh, last game against Lazio, scored two goals. And although one was from mm-hmm. the penalty spot, Jada, fantastically well taken shot from distance. So, um I think this is a player that we have to maybe keep an eye on because I think he's starting to become a bit more prominent in terms of his style. It's just finding a way to play him. That's the thing. I think Gasparini is starting mm-hmm. to work with him a lot more and that's where we're starting to see the fruits of that labour. And Gasparini is just a 
phenomenal coach when it comes to these kind of talents, isn't he? Boy? He's incredible. He is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's okay. I, I, I kind of get the feeling I have to go back and check our episodes, but I think I remember last year us saying he could really do with a loan at a team like yes. Atalanta. Yeah. Like when it wasn't going well it. at Milan, we were like, he could really do with going to that team that are challenging for Europe, but not quite one of the big seven, if you know what I mean. But like, and I think it's just been a really fantastic move for him, obviously, and it's great to see because I think. I obviously when a player becomes a meme, it's never really nice to see, but I knew no. that he was like an exciting player. And I was like, Definitely. I really hope you get your, your career. He's still so young, but I was like, I really hope you get your career back on track. And it feels like that's kind of happening. So yeah, more strength to him, more strength to Atalanta as well. They're having a very good season. I think they could get another positive result at Genoa here. Sure. Um, and then the late kickoff on Sunday, it's a biggie. We've got Milan taking on Napoli. Now, Napoli was some fantastic business in January. They're yep. kind of hitting good form. They're starting to look a little bit better. They've only lost one in their last five, one, two of their last three. They are three points behind Roma in fifth, four points behind Atalanta in fourth. Milan, we know, are massively even though they've won four of their last five, mm. and their form still kind of surprises me. I feel yeah. like they've been yes, less consistent than they have. Is that just their performances? Are they? Are they? Should we be giving them more credit that they're grinding results out? Because I feel like they're not as good as those results show us. Yeah, I think there's something in between, right? I think if you look at the way that they're playing games, you think that actually it's a bit deceptive the way that they are in the table at the moment. However. I think that shows a lot of character about that squad as well because they are able to grind out those results. And I think in amongst that, then you've also got the fact that Rafael Leal has indicated that he, this is probably going to be his last season at Milan. He wants to force a move out. And I think, to be fair, if Milan get offered 80, 90 million for his services, and it's rumoured that the likes of PSG are interested in him, they would take it on. You know, uh, They would let him move on. And I think that would be reinvested into the squad so I, I think that could be mm -hmm. quite a savvy bit of business for Milan but in terms of the squad right now um, yeah they've had to grind out a few results and I think it's a bit worrying about Mike Magnan and his near posts kind of exploited mm -hmm. activity at the moment he seems very weak you remember those kind of rumors where it was like when you play against Courtois aim for his legs basically because he's not very yeah, quick yeah, at it. Yeah, yeah. It feels with Mike Magnan, he needs that bit of coaching to develop his kind of angles, I think it's fair to say. I think his positioning mm -hmm. seems to be a bit maybe off in certain situations. And, you know, the game against Frosinone, where it's just the near post that he's really beaten quite easily. Disappointing for a goalkeeper that I, I do rate still, regardless, uh, Rory. Mm -hmm. I think oh, he's yeah, a yeah. very, very good goalkeeper, but he's probably just needs some more time to develop his game, it's fair to say. Um, but we also have to mention the fact that this is the big story as well to come out of Milan this week is Conte being linked with a move to Milan as well because, yeah, this ever never-ending story about Pioli and his nine lives um, continues. Um, Conte is supposedly lined to replace him, at least if it's not this season, Rory, it'll be in the summer. But Rory did say... Conte is also linked with another club. Do you want to share it? His agent club? is work. His agent is working overtime at the minute because yeah. he's also been linked to Barcelona today, which I Brilliant. 
audibly laughed out loud when I saw the Conte <laughs> to Barcelona story because I thought you're looking at the manager who demands the most money in the world, arguably in terms of how to spend squads, to spend on squads, and you're expecting him to go to Barcelona. Um, uh, it would be a very Conte thing to be to go from Inter to Milan, if you know what I mean, like within yeah. the league. If you know, what I, mean. I know he went to Spurs, but to be like you know, win the Scudetto or Inter, and then all of a sudden, no, I was Milan all along because yeah. he, he managed them before, right? Conte, he did no, manage Milan before. I don't I think. think he has, but he is doing the tour though, isn't he? He's doing the tour of the big clubs. I swear. Maybe I'm cause... thinking Allegri. Maybe I'm thinking I'm thinking Allegri. Yeah, I'm thinking Allegri. Managed, uh, Gattuso's obviously been at Milan as well, so maybe you think Gattuso there. Yeah, as well. Uh, maybe um, yeah. Um, but yeah, well, his, his, um, his agent is clearly working overtime at the moment. Um, would you like to see Conte take the reins at Milan? I think that would be quite entertaining. (laughs) Yeah, I think for entertainment value, it definitely would be. It'd be fascinating to watch him bring like Victor Moses to play wing back or something like that. Um, but uh, you know, I think, (laughs) I think generally it would be quite, quite enduring for the Milan faithful. I think they've got uh, something that they can get behind. I think they want someone that's a bit more passionate on that sidelines because I think they do feel... Do they want with... an Inter-man though? Do they want an Inter-man? So they they all forgive him Inter. if he wins a title. If he wins something for them, mm. they will not care about the fact that he won something for Inter. Don't forget, I think his relationship with Inter wasn't particularly that strengthened. It wasn't you know, even okay. after they won the Scudetto, there was still that kind of animosity that he's a Juventini, he's a Juventus yeah, fan, true. really. So yeah, ultimately, yeah, I don't think it will bother them too much. I mean, look, they've always there's always been crossovers in certain players, for example. Um, manager, this could be fascinating. I think they see him as an Italian man, don't they? They see him as just someone that represents the people in that respect. And I think, yeah, 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 they can get behind that as long as Rory, the results follow. Cause the, this is the most important thing is it's all well having the mannerisms, you know, the ability, but the other element, I think they have to just be a bit mindful of. He does demand money. If things don't go his way, yeah, yeah. he wants to transfer war chest, doesn't he? I don't know if Cardinale will get behind that necessarily. So this is where it's fascinating. We'll see what happens with this story, but yeah, Conte to Milan, I could see it happening. It's intriguing. It's intriguing. Um, but for the game, I do have to say, a- uh, Milan are conceding a lot of goals at the minute. Um, <laughs> their games, they beat Frosinone 3-2. They yes. drew 2-all with Bologna. They won 3-2 against Udinese and they won 3-1 against Roma. So they're conceding and scoring a lot of goals. Whereas Napoli, um, a lot of their goals, a lot of their games at the minute have got a lot of zeros. So they drew, um, they beat Verona 2-1, but they drew 0-0 with Lazio. Then they lost 1-0 to Inter. Um, they, goals are a little bit harder to come by for Napoli, but I think this game we could see a lot of goals. We've seen Kvanachkelia, of course, scoring yes, against, against yeah. Verona. I think this is a game where it could be properly properly entertaining so i'm excited about that a lovely way to spend your sunday evening and the final game in Serie A on monday is juventus taking on udinese which of course will be a draw so <laughs> let's move on to the premier league um and there's a few big games in the premier league this year but remember guys no celebrating we have man city taking on everton on the early kickoff on saturday that's going to be a fairly routine win for Man City, I imagine. Um, in the first of the three o'clock kickoffs, we have Wolves taking on Brentford. 
Fulham taking on Bournemouth, which is an intriguing one. Mm-hmm. Tottenham hosting Brighton, yeah. a very exciting one. Are we concerned about Brighton? Their form is pretty terrible. Um, their win against Palace, because let's face it, everybody's beating Palace, was their first win in four yeah. games in the Premier League. Um, are we a little bit concerned about Brighton? I'm not concerned about Brighton as such, although I think there were some comments by De Zerbi, uh after the window that kind of made me kind of question whether his uh, like future is at Brighton because he mentioned that, mm. look, um, we've sold two world-class midfielders, but we haven't replaced them. And that kind of yeah. insinuated to me that he wasn't happy with the transfer strategy down there. We know about Brighton's strategy. They don't want to spend huge amounts. They want to get unearthed these gems. I feel it's a bit weird that we haven't seen Jakob Murder come back into the fold just yet. Um, he is back from injury. True. So by all accounts, he's still training. And that's the question in Poland, for example, is... When is he going to be appearing? Because we know what a good play he can be. Um, I know, I think Brighton are taking their time because of the injury that he had. So that could be playing a part. But yeah, I think Deserby, there's a bit of unease at the moment around maybe behind the scenes. But that said, look, I think what they've achieved this season is been still amazing when you look at it. They're still in Europe right now. They haven't got a huge squad. And they're still battling in the top half of the table. Personally, I think that's a real good achievement. I think most Brighton fans expected mm-hmm. them to be bottom half, but still competing in Europe. So I'm not concerned. This could be an interesting match, though, because philosophy-wise, very similar. So it could be like a yeah. really end-to-end game of football. I-, I cannot wait, actually, from a goal perspective, how many goals we will see in this match. So. Yeah, yeah I think it's going to be like be a bit of a mad 4-3 or something, if you know yeah. what I mean. There's going to be plenty of goals in this one. Um, but Tottenham do have a very good record against Brighton at home. They've won six of the last seven home games against Brighton, with the exception being a 1-0 loss in April 2022. So, yeah, Tottenham a very good mm. record against Brighton, but of course... We're hoping the Seagulls get a result there. Sorry, Ben. Um, Later, no, at the same time, a huge game as Luton host Sheffield United in a three o'clock kickoff. Luton, free-flowing, Brazilian football-playing Luton, um, fresh from scoring eight goals in two games, coming up against Sheffield United, who have conceded the most goals in the Premier League. I'm just going to double-check that. By some distance, Jesus Christ, 59 goals. That is rough reading. Yeah. How many do we think Luton are going to get this game? Because I think this is going to be a good old-fashioned paddling. Yeah, this could be quite tragic for Sheffield United, especially the comments that you know Chris Wilder's coming out with. It feels like he's going on the defensive right now, Such trying to really kind of evoke this kind of we're everyone's against Sheffield United you saw those comments at Crystal Palace where he insinuated that referees had kind of said that every decision was going to go against them for example it was that was that is mental by the way I know that is that you are basically saying that it's corrupt right you're saying referees are being corrupt (laughs) and I'm I'm sure that is basically a fine if not a suspension of some sorts right it blows my mind. Arteta got fucking fined for saying disgracia, right? For yeah. saying it's a disgrace. Can you remember the furore that happened about yeah, that, right? Because he I said know. it's a disgrace. This guy has said, a Premier League official told me that you're not going to get any decisions today. Yeah. Like, and nothing's been said about it. It's exactly. insane. 
when I saw that comment, I was like, I can't believe it. Like, and then he said something even more mental when he was on about the referee eating a sandwich. It was <laughs> yeah. disrespectful. That's what I think what happened. It got swiped under the carpet because of that comment alone. Because everything yeah. was lost in context. Yeah. Because it's like all about this official eating a fucking sandwich. Like when he turned up and he thought it was disrespectful. I mean, Jesus Christ. The, the, where was the shred the of Brentian... evidence where he came out yeah. with it as well? Go on, carry on. My favorite bit about the sandwich thing as well is it's so David Brent. Remember the like the quote in the office where he's like, "Oh, that's David Brent." I have to remember to thank him one day. <laughs> but he was like, after the sandwich thing, he was like, "Well, you know, but he'll have to. T- he'll be able to turn around and say, you know, I ate a sandwich in front of a Premier League manager." I was like, "You are such a prick! <laughs> You're such a prick!" Um, yeah, he's having a full on meltdown, isn't he? A full on yeah. meltdown. Um, so that'll be worth watching, regardless of what result this is. I feel like Chris Wilder is going to be box office afterwards, but I do also feel like Luton Town are going to absolutely run away with this one. Loving Ross Barkley's resurgence, loving Ogbené, loving yeah. Rob Edwards. My God, he's a good-looking man. Um, loving everything about what is happening at Luton. So good times. Um, and the last of the three o'clock kickoffs, Liverpool taking on Burnley. That's another battering. And the late... Adam, guess who's playing at half five on a Saturday? Is it Newcastle? How do you do it? How do you do it, Adam? How do you do it? I'm going to add them all up by the end of the year. But in the Newcastle United slot is Nottingham Forest taking on Newcastle United at half past five on a Saturday as Sky Sports continue to force us to watch Newcastle United (laughs) until we just become numb to them. Because I don't know if any of us are ever going to like them. But Nottingham Forest, I feel like... I feel like Forest could get some it here. Newcastle are really hard to predict at the moment, really inconsistent. Obviously, the looting game, scoring lots of goals, but that that's a game heading into that at home. You'd be expecting Newcastle to win. I don't feel like they control games like they did last year. I feel like they were a lot less chaotic mm. last year. Now, I know injuries have absolutely fucked them this season, but I feel like... Yeah one of the things we were praising Newcastle for last year was like, regardless of what the personnel, they knew the system, they knew their jobs. That kind of feels like it's gone out the window this year, right? It has. It has. I think this season has definitely taken its toll on this squad. Um, I will say in favour of Newcastle, there'll be a sense of revenge to overcome that mm-hmm. previous result that took place at St. James's Park, where they got absolutely annihilated by Chris Woods and co at that day. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to be a tight game. I think both teams are obviously needing the points right now. Uh, probably more so Forest with their team being at home. I think this is going to be where the edge goes to them. Um, however, I have not been that impressed by Forest of recently. Um, they they mm. seem to struggle at the back. I think the fact that they've brought in another goalkeeper to potentially replace Matt Turner says a huge amount another. about. Yeah, another blunder from him. So, and yeah, I think this is going to be testing times. I think they just need enough points to survive the season as it currently stands. I think that's what they're aiming for. Mm. Um, but they haven't played badly. This is the thing. I, I expected it to be worse under Nuno, um, San, Nuno Espirito Santo. Sorry. Um, but yeah, it's actually been quite apathetic. I think the football has been quite pleasing on the eye at times, so I've been quietly surprised at the way that they've managed to do that, considering I didn't think Steve Cooper did a bad job as well. This is the thing, in the context of things, I don't think he had a bad place with that Nottingham Forest team. Um, But yeah, 
let's see what happens, Rui. I think it's going to be a fascinating match again. It should be an interesting one. And of course, Chris Wood will get a goal because that's what happens. Yeah, um, on Sunday, we have West Ham taking on Arsenal. Please, God, Arsenal. I've just got that Marge thing from The Simpsons. Like, please just be good to Bart. Please, for the love of God, just be good. And Arsenal, please, for the love of God, just be good. We cannot beat Liverpool and be quite yeah. loud about it and then lose to West Ham away the next game. <laughs> it can't happen. Um, later on on the Sunday, we yeah. have Aston Villa taking on Manchester United. This is a really interesting game. So I think Man United, obviously, in pretty good form. Um, a confusing performance against West Ham because I saw a lot of pods, or I listened to a lot of pods this week that were like, oh, I thought Manchester United played really well, a really assured performance. I think they played like the away team and West Ham, if they could finish a bag of chips, would have got a much better result than they did. I feel like United just are still a moments team, right? They rely on moments to win games. They do, This yeah. is a big test for United because Villa, obviously their form is up and down at the moment. Um, awful result and performance against Chelsea in the Cup. Um... How do you feel about United going into this? I think a, if United have taken a step and are getting better, they turn up to an out-of-form Villa and get a result here, right? Potentially, yeah. I mean, the form kind of dictates that they're doing quite well at the moment, unbeaten in the last five. Um, it'll be fascinating to see if they can do this against opponents like Aston Villa. Uh, like you say, Aston Villa, very disappointing midweek against Chelsea in the FA Cup as well. So they will be desperate to turn that around, especially as that's probably not where they expected to be. Um, I think they would have enjoyed an FA Cup run, right, Rory? Um, but yeah, Villa mm. have been disappointing of late, it has to be said. And I, I don't know if the fluidity has just kind of gone out of their game more recently because the way they're playing, they're not the same exciting Villa that we saw back in sort of November, October period where they seem to be dominating games uh, but they don't seem to be having that same rhythm so I'm sure Unai Emre will be desperate to turn that around um, yeah I think this has got a draw written all over it personally I think this will be a point <laughs> of shared personally um, but it wouldn't surprise me if like you say Man United play like a typical away side and counter attack on the break so um, mm -hmm. we'll see but I think Villa will kind of show up in this match. I expect them to show a bit more pride than they have done in the last few, that's for sure. Yeah, they're due, they, they are due a performance, aren't they? Um, yeah. And then finally, on Monday, the battle of the unhappy managers <laughs> as Crystal Palace hosts Chelsea. Uh, uh, Pochettino coming out with some fantastic, fantastic quotes this week, knowing that he can't get sacked seemingly as he was like, I didn't finish 12th last season. Chelsea finished 12th last season, which was my personal favourite. Uh, completely throwing everyone else under the bus at the club. Good work, Poch. Um, and Crystal Palace, well, wow. Um, it is yeah. getting pretty grim. This divorce between the Crystal Palace fans and Roy Hodgson, I really didn't want it to end like this. I really didn't no. want Roy to go out like this. But he's not helping himself. Um, the substitution with Michael Elise made zero sense. Yeah. Throwing his medical staff under the bus makes no sense. Constantly calling out the players for subpar performances and calling them out as well. I think makes no sense. It's a man who's just at the end of his wit here. And I think mm. this has got Conor Gallagher getting his first goal of the season written all over it, right? Well, technically his second, if you include the FA Cup game that he scored midweek. But yes, um, I think this could be one that Chelsea win quite handsomely. The way that, you know, Palace are playing at the moment, you know, they're going to miss Elise now for two months. 
Um, that was part of their goals, contribution as well as scored, gone now from just that decision alone. I think that cost them the season potentially. That potentially yeah. that decision alone could cost them the season. Um, I'm surprised Steve Parrish has stayed so loyal. Personally, I think he needs to make the move now. Um, I think if they do lose quite badly, I think he's got no choice but to sack Hodgson. And that'll be, mm-hmm. you have to feel sorry for Roy. He, he shouldn't be there. Not I don't think he yeah. should be back in managing. I thought he came back, did his duties, let him go in the summer. That's what they should have done. But Steve Parrish has different ideas. I think it's more sustainability piece for him. And he knows Roy. He knows he can get results. But I, I think this is a step too far. I think they should have gone back to an innovative manager that they could have trusted and instilled by now. But there was rumours in the January transfer window that they were potentially talking to the likes of Steve Cooper, for example, and Graham Potter. Both of those would have been suitable for this role right now. Um, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if they try for either of those if they do lose mm-hmm. on this match. But Pochettino, I think they would laugh. Yeah. It's just fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. Um, oh, God. The, the the whole story of they can't afford to sack him and Enzo Fernandez. Oh, God. It's beautiful. All the Chelsea fans were sharing the footage of him with his shirt to the crowd. <laughs> yeah, going, that, yeah. And like pointing to the ground and like, I'm staying. Chelsea fans, I've got really bad news for you. He did the same things at Benfica. Of course he um, did, yeah. Just shortly just before, before he joined Chelsea. Yeah. The, yeah, like just before he joined you, he did the same thing at Benfica. But I do like the idea that before that game, his agent had to explain to him just exactly how long eight years <laughs> yeah. is and how locked into his contract he is because nobody's paying 120 million for you now, mate. I'll tell you that. <laughs> You're not getting that offer coming through the door. Um, but yeah, I think Chelsea should get a fairly handsome win here. Um, so guys, that is the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to leave it there um, yes. and we're going to come back with, of course... The ticket. I'll give it another go with the Tiki Taka Toe quiz. We will see you there soon. And here we are. Welcome to the Tiki Taka Toe quiz. And it is, of course, me taking on Adam. And we have opted for, we flipped a coin. We haven't opted for, let's not ruin the uh, image. We flipped a coin and it came out Premier League. So for the people who are listening to the pod and don't have the uh, gift of sight, um, along the top line, we have Germany, Manchester United and Belgium. And along the side, we have Nottingham Forest, Tottenham and Everton. And as I've read them out, I've just realized how tricky this is. So... Right, um, Adam, I'm going to let you go first. Which square would you like to yeah. kick us off with? Can I go with Man United and Everton? I'm going to go with so Man United Everton. Yeah, Romelu Lukaku. Lukaku, Romelu, Romelu, Romelu. There we go, Romelu Lukaku. Nice. I'm going to kick us off with Manchester United and Tottenham, and I'm going to go Berbatov. Very good. Not Berbatov, Berbatov. There, there is. he is. Dimmy. What a player. Right. I'm going to go with Everton and Belgium. And I go Marion Fellaini. 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 
Uh, nice, Marwan Flynn. So I'm going to have to block you off. German and Everton, which is very tricky. German and Everton. Um, Not to put more pressure on you, Rory, but I already have one you've in You've got my head. one, haven't you? Yeah. There's probably someone really obvious as well, but I'm just thinking of German <laughs> national team. But I don't know if it's a German who played for Everton, if they would have made it into the national team. Sorry, Everton fans, but... Um, <laughs> I'm just going to have to try Mustafi because I don't know why that's coming to my head. Mate, you're correct. I don't think oh. that's Do you know the other one I was going to go for was Thomas, Thomas Hitzelsberger because he had a little spell there as well. Hitzelsberger. So there's the other one. Oh so, my God, I'm so glad I didn't go mad with Mustafi. I'm going to block you, therefore. Belgium and Nottingham Forest and Divock Origi. God damn it. Divock Origi. Origi. So I'm going to have to go Belgium and Tottenham, and I'm going to go Vertonghen. Yeah. They've had a lot of Belgians, haven't they? Yeah, there was a few to pick from. I was going to go Nasser Chadley, for example, if you want to go old school. Um, was that, was it Van Bommel or Van Blondel? Van Blondel. Blondel? Was Van Blondel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weireld, was he Belgian? Yes, yes, yeah. he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, Germany and Tottenham to block you, Jürgen Klinsmann. Grinzy Klinzy. Oh, God, I think we're going to have to have a draw, Adam. Um, yeah, this is So I'm going to go Man United and Forest. Am I going Man United and Forest? Roy Keane. Oh, so. So you've got you German have, and Nottingham yeah. Forest. I've got one in my head, but it wasn't in the Premier League. He played for the Alex as well, so I don't think it's going to count, but anyway. Yeah, I'm just trying to think now because there's a few that have played in Germany and played for Nottingham Forest, and I'm trying to work out if they were German nationals. Um, there was a young player that they got back in the day, and I'm trying to think of his name. He was from the Bayern Munich Youth Academy that they bought as well, but I don't know if it will count. That's the thing. Uh, Nottingham Forest and Germany. Um, oh. They must have signed a German. They've signed about 50 players in the last two seasons. One of them must have been <laughs> yeah, German. <right. laughs> um, One of the goalkeepers? I don't know. I don't think this is correct, but I'm going to gamble and go for it. Nikata, Nikati, Nikati, the centre-back. That's it. That's his name. Try this. Felix Bastions, there he is. Felix Bastions. He's the one I was thinking. Boom! Yes. Well, I think you win because you got five squares and I got four. What, what does it say? Does it say? I think it's still a draw, though. Technically, looking at the top, I think it says nil nil. Oh, it says nil nil. So I think we're nil nil. Well, I'll tell there you what, go. guys. We'll any American listeners? Any American listeners are going to friggin' hate this, all that, and it's a draw. Um, <laughs> well, guys, um, thank you very much for joining us for the show. Um, it's been a pleasure, as always. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Italian Angler Pod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod, and on TikTok and YouTube at Anglo Italian Pod. Make sure to give us a follow, a like, hit and subscribe, all those things. Uh, we'll be back for the Monday live show, as always, half past eight on Monday evening, half past nine if you're in. Europe um, and Adam anything to say before I leave these lovely people to enjoy their weekend and with a quote <laughs>
nothing but enjoy the football enjoy your loved ones and make sure you follow us on the socials including tiktok where we're trying to grow so and if you can five star review and any reviews about the show subscribe like all of the above basically exactly get involved guys um and we are going to our quote is very short but it comes with a little story so it came out this week that Mourinho, always the showman um left a ring in Luca Pellegrini's locker as he left the club. Very Roman tragedy, very dramatic, as Mourinho always is. Um, And with this ring that they gifted him for winning the Conference League, he left it in Luca Pellegrini's locker with the simple note, when you are men, give it back to me. (laughs) Thank you, guys. We will see you on Monday. Ciao, a dopo. Ciao, ciao. Podcast Network.